So we're concluding our series today in part eight. And today I want to talk to you about this. Protect your personality. Protect your personality. Your personality is your gift. It's your passion. It's your strength. It's the reason you get up in the morning. It's the, it's the things that God helps you succeed in in life. And I taught you at the very beginning of this series that the thing that can suppress your personality more than anything else is having the wrong people in your life. The wrong people, manipulative people, or people that are trying to suck the energy and life out of you on a regular basis, they can actually change you for the worst. They can call, some of you, God created you to be more bold than you are, but you've been around people that keep telling you to calm down and they suppress you. Some of you need to be more outgoing than God created you to be outgoing, but you're not doing it because you're in a relationship where somebody suppressed you. So many different gifts on the inside of you can be manipulated, torn, or, or, or left in the background by being in relationships with the wrong people. Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart with all diligence. Your heart is your personality, your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. It says this, guard it. Guard it because the wrong influences in your life will change you. The wrong people in your life can move you in a direction you were never supposed to move in. Ephesians 6.14 says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is the breastplate of God's approval. You know, Ephesians 6 is the armor of God we're supposed to pray on every single day, right? Think about what God's approval covers. Think about what the breastplate covers. It covers your heart. It covers your, in other words, every day we're supposed to realize God has approved me. God created me with this personality, these gifts, even these weaknesses, they're inside of me and God loves me and I'm doing my best to please God. So if this person disapproves of me, I don't have to change for them. If this person tries to tell me that I need to do this different or raise my kids different or they're getting all up in my business, I don't care if they like me or don't like me because I'm doing my best to honor God. I have his approval. The number one greatest influence in your life and in your heart is your relationships. There is no other greater influence on planet Earth or in the universe than your relationships. This is why from Genesis to Revelation, it keeps telling us over and over that you should let God be the number one relationship in your life so that God is the greatest influence in your life. You understand what I'm saying? Whether you believe it, listen, the people that you allow in your inner circle have made you who you are today. Nothing affects you more than people. Nothing. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, don't be fooled. Bad companions destroy and corrupt good character. The good in you, uh, with your personality, if you're an S, the peace in you. If you're a C, the detail, complex, intelligence in you. If you're an I, the joy in you. Whatever the good that's in you, it can be pulled down by the wrong people. It doesn't say uh, because of the good in you, when you get around bad companions, you pull them up. You make them better. They grow because of you. No, it doesn't say it says the opposite. They actually pull you down. Every single in-depth study done on brainwaves from Yale to University uh, from Yale to Harvard says that our mind functions at its peak when we're interacting with people. In other words, there's more information being put into your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions when you're interacting with people than any other minute of your day. That's why it's so important we have the right people around us and we set boundaries with the wrong people. Uh, a boundary is, is, is like a, uh, there's nothing wrong with having a boundary. It's like a, um, like a tennis court or a basketball court, you know how they have the lines and the referee says this is in there, or for some of y'all, a pickleball court, okay? So if I know the age of you, so pickleball. So you have these boundaries, like in our house, we have a fence in the backyard. 
We put up a fence, not because we don't like our neighbors. We actually love our neighbors. We just want to make it very clear to everyone. This is how far we're going to come into your life. This is how far we feel safe with you coming into our life. We don't want you to pass this boundary, not because we don't love you. We just want to feel safe. You have to have boundaries with certain types of people or it will ruin who God made you to be. And some of you, you just open your heart up to everybody because they're related to you. Because they call you and they need you and you love being needed. Or they tell you they can't do it without you. And if you don't help them, their light build, their light's going to get turned off and their kids are going to get taken away. And you have to save them. You got to set boundaries with these people. It will, it will ruin the personality gifts that God's put on the inside of you. So I have three types of people today for your notes that you should always set great boundaries with. If you're ready, say, oh yeah. Okay, number one is this, controlling people. Controlling people. These are people that tell you how to raise your kids. They tell you how to spend your money. Um, they think they know what's best for your life. And if you don't do what they want you to do, somehow they express disapproval. Not right to your face, not very blunt, like they just kind of very passive aggressive, letting you know they don't think you're doing a good job because you're not doing what they want you to do. Galatians 1.10 says, I'm not trying to please people. Paul said, I want to please God. So here's how I do it. I don't seek the approval of people. I only seek the approval of God. There is an incredible freedom that occurs in your life when the, the, the voice of God is what orders your steps above every other human being on planet Earth. There's a great freedom when that happens. Now, if you don't know what a controller is, or maybe you're a controller and you don't know it, I have a few points to help you be able to narrow it down to these people. Okay, so here's a few points here. Controllers, they play the victim when they don't get their way. That's a big thing for controllers. They, they have a pity party. They say things like this. I've done so much for you. Don't you know what I did for you and you're going to treat me like this? You're not going to come to my house for Thanksgiving and I wipe your butt when you were a baby. I raised you and you're not going to, you're going to go to your in-law's house over mine? They throw this, man, am I hurting somebody's feelings today? <laughs> Woo, maybe I shouldn't have done this so close to Thanksgiving anyway. Um, controllers run the lives of their grown children. They're great. They, in fact, they love doing it. It makes them feel needed and special, so they still run the lives of their adult child who's 25 or 30 or 35 or 40 or 45 years old. I mean, it's, it's crazy. They expect, they expect that child um, to put them before their spouse. That's how you know when you have a controlling parent or a controlling in-law, when they expect their child to put them before the person they're married to. That's a horrible spirit of control. Genesis 2.24, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And, and a lot of times you think that it's the woman that's being controlled by her parents. No, no, it's usually the boy. It's usually the guy. He's a mama's boy, right? So if you're married to a man who puts his mother before you, I give you permission to pull out the sawzall and cut that umbilical cord right off. It's been on there for 40 years, brother. Cut that thing off. <laughs> Get rid of throw that thing away. Tell your mom no. <laughs> oh man, y'all love y'all. Y'all so glad I'm back in town. Yes, you are. Controllers treat their spouse like a slave mate instead of a helpmate. They're, they're married to somebody and they're not best friends. 
They're not equals. No, 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 no. One of them is the master and one of them is the slave. Second Peter 2.19 says people are slaves of whatever controls them. If you're under that control, you might not believe this. Slavery is still around. And I'll tell you this. It's your fault for allowing it. It is not that person's fault. for con they're, they're controlling spirit. That's between them and God. You allowing them to control you? That's between you and God. And you need to deal with it. Controllers give unasked for advice. Well, if I were you, I would do this. If I were you, I would do that. And if they're a Christian controller, they'll say things like this. I got a word for you. <laughs> and it makes them feel so special to let you know they can hear from God better than you can. Or they can hear from God for you. And, usually, and, and their word is usually, and you know, they'll even do manipulative prayers. They'll say, well, can I just pray with you? And you say, yeah. And they'll say, Lord, help them see how wrong they are and how they need to read these three books I told them to read. And if they do that, they'll be healed. And they need to stop going out this place. And Lord, if they do that, let them know you'll love them. Amen. Don't you feel better? Yes. Thank you so much for that prayer. Well, I got a word. God told me to tell you that if anyone ever comes up and does that and you don't trust them completely as a prophetic person or someone that hears from God and encourages you, you say this to them. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. I was just talking to God just before you walked up here. We were just in conversation and God told me the next person that walks up to me and says that God told them something, I'm supposed to tell them something straight out of the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, make it your ambition to live a quiet life and mind your own business. Now, I'll tell you, this is so funny. That literally is straight from the mouth of God. So that is a prophetic word right there. And every time you read that, it comes from God. Controllers use your weaknesses and your mistakes to guilt or shame you into submitting to them. Man, I'm ruining some relationships in here today, aren't I? This is like the Jerry Springer show today, huh? Y'all are going to be fighting when y'all... <laughs> some of y'all rode here together, you're going to have to call an Uber. <laughs> you're not going to ride home together. They'll, use your, they'll say, you know, you made that mistake eight years ago. And I, you, you, I'm still hurt by what you did. And da, da, or, um, you know, when you, when, you, when you did that, I'm the one that bailed you out. I'm the one that did that for you. You made that horrible thing. And they'll use things that God has already forgotten to get you to feel smaller and insecure so you will do what they want you to do. And so they have control over you. They'll make you feel like that you, if you ever leave them, no one will love you. If, if you ever walk away from them, you're not going to make it without them. Does anybody here know a controller? Am I just preaching to myself? We know, okay, is that person sitting around you right now? Just right, I'm just kidding, I'm joking. First Corinthians 9:19. although I'm free in every way from anyone's control, I have made myself a servant to all. The difference between a servant and a slave is servants choose because they love, slaves are forced to do it. If you feel forced to answer the phone when that person calls, if you feel forced to give them money when they ask, if you feel forced to do whatever they want you to do, go to the restaurant, they always choose, wear what they want you to wear, fix your hair like they want you to fix it. If you are, you are a slave to that person, if you're under that control. That's a sat down. I'm going to tell you something that may shock you. But when you set boundaries with a controlling spirit, they will make you think you have lost your mind. They'll tell you, you need to be on medicine. You need to go see a psychiatrist. They'll make you think you are absolutely crazy to not do what they want you to do. And when that happens, you have to um, create even more distance in the boundary line. 
And maybe you saw them four times a year or you answered the phone once a week or whatever you did when they do that and you try to set a boundary and you don't have to announce your boundaries to the world. You just don't allow them to have that control. And when they make you feel like you're crazy, you say, you know what? I used to see you four times a year. Now we're only going to see you three times a year. If they do it again, now it's only two times. They do it again, it's one time. You have to continue to expand that boundary line with the phone. I used to talk to you once a week. Now we're going to talk once every two weeks. Because here's the thing. You can't heal that person. You can't fix that person. I don't care how much you cry, beg, scream, love, pray. Only God can do it. So you trying to somehow um, make them see the light of their controlling spirit, it never works. They're completely deceived. Only God can help them. There's a a fable that I read uh, about this old man who was traveling uh, from village to village with a donkey and a little boy. And they came to the first village and the man, the old man, he was leading the donkey with the rope and the boy was walking behind the donkey. In that first village, the townspeople told the old man, you're a fool. You should ride the donkey. And so to please them, he climbed on top of the donkey's back and they headed on their journey with the little boy walking behind. They came to the second village and the people there said that the old man was cruel to make the child walk while he enjoyed the ride. So to please them, He got off the donkey and he let the boy ride on the donkey and he walked next to the donkey. They came to the third village. The people said the child's lazy for making the old man walk and they said both of y'all should ride the donkey. So to please them, they both got on top of the donkey and they continued on their journey. They came to the fourth village and the townspeople said, this is cruelty to animals to make that thing carry both of you. The fable ends by saying that the frustrated old man was last seen Carrying the donkey and the boy down the road. (laughs) If you surrender to a controller, you'll live a confused life. You'll live frustrated. You'll live miserable. And here's the worst part. It'll be unable for you to hear from God. Because your spirit, your soul and everything in your personality is so tied to this person that's controlling you. You can't even hear God whispering in your ear. You have to break free from that. Get back on your knees in your quiet room. Go to God. Get out your Bible and say, Lord, what are you asking me to do in this situation? How do you want me to live my life? And it'll take some time, but I promise if you'll set boundaries, it'll happen and it'll be good for you. Point number two is this. Drama people. Drama your mama. And I know that dramatic is the proper word, but we know that that we use this word, man. They got so much drama in their life. Drama people um, are people who steal your resources. And every time they have a need, it's urgent. You have to fix it right now for them. Uh, Drama people usually handle money very, very poorly. And they will always steal your peace. Anytime you leave a person that's got constant drama in their life, you feel so drained and exhausted. And there's like strife filled inside of your heart. Now, the thing about people who have drama is this. They never want to change. They never want to grow. They only want you to fix all of their problems today. And guess what? When you do that, they have another problem next week and then the next week and then the next week. Drama doesn't just walk into your life. You either create it, you invite it, or you associate with people who love it. If there's any drama in your life today, it is 100% your fault. You invited it, you created it, or you associate with people who love it. In Exodus 18, 13, Moses was busy from morning till night settling disputes and the drama and the fights among all his people. 
He had two million people that he loved, and they're in the wilderness, so of course they're going to get in spats. You know, you looked at me the wrong way, and you stole my seat in church, and you know, my camel was parked here, and you scratched the side of it, or whatever they do. There's always something going on. You know, you stole my donkey, and you know, my kid, and your kid, and whatever it was. And so Moses, because he was a great leader, he was a C personality, so he's very calm, he's very intellectual, um, he's a deep thinker, he processes well, and he would just sit there uh, patiently from morning until the sun came up, until the sun went down, and he would just listen to all of this drama coming at him. Drama, drama, day after day, thinking this, I can fix them, I can help them, they need me, they love me, I'm going to be here for them, I love God, so I have to help these people. And his, his father-in-law came along, and his father-in-law Jethro said, Moses, why are you doing it? Just, just tell me why, because you have these great gifts inside of you. God's called you to lead the people to the promised land, not fix all their problems. There's a destiny that you have, and you're not doing what he's called. You're doing something, and I realize you're trying to help people, but it's not best. There's something you could be using your gifts for other than this, your energy. There's something you could be using your time for. You're supposed to lead them to the promised land, not take care of all their problems. And here's what Moses said in verse 15. I do it because they come to me. I do it because they call me. I do it because they say they need me. I do it because they say if I don't help them, that they're going to lose their children. You know what? Let them lose their children then. Let the kids get taken away. Well, I don't want the children to go through that. Children are very resilient. Sometimes the only way somebody will change is if they hurt bad enough. And when you stop them from hurting and you stop them from going through pain, you stop them from experiencing the wisdom of God. Because some of the greatest wisdom you and I have today is because of the mistakes we've made, not the successes that we've made. And when you stop people from making mistakes, you stop them from going to God and learning. We are here in this building because we've made mistakes. There's people out there, every time they mess up, you fix it, you fix it, you fix it. They're never going to come to God. You're, you're, you're interrupting what God's trying to do. The law of sowing and reaping. But every time they sow, you reap. It's supposed to be they reap what they sow. You're the one reaping it. In verse 17, Jethro said, this thing you're doing, it's not good, Moses. It's not God. It's not good. But they need me. No, they don't. They need God. Amen. And if you think they need you, you become an idol. And the Bible says there shall be no other gods before me. You become a little G, God. Do you really want to sit on that throne? Do you really want to be God? If so, then just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep answering the phone for them. Keep bailing them out. Keep helping them every time they cry. It's not our job to fix people. It's not our job to rescue everyone. It's not our job to solve everybody's problems. Our goal is to lead people to Jesus, period. That is our goal. If you're not leading, let me ask them. All this money that you've given them, all this time and energy that you poured, let me just ask you a question. Has it helped? Are they changed? Have they grown? Do they love Jesus more because all this sacrifice that you've done? No, not only have they not changed, but you have changed. You're going, you're losing your resources. You're going down and down and down. <laughs> I'm not preaching the second service. I'm leaving after this service. Y'all can just tell them what the sermon was about. Proverbs 3.13 says this, blessed, happy, or prosperous is the man who finds wisdom from God and life's experiences. You know what's funny? My name is not in that scripture. I don't see, I don't see your name in there either. In a blessed, happy, and prosperous is the man who finds wisdom from John Paul. Is that what it says there? 
What about from, from your mom and dad? Is that what it says? Or from your best friend that you've had since high school that always bails you out? Is that what it says? No, it's from God and experiencing life. Don't stop people from experiencing the things that you and I have experienced that have gotten us where we are today. Uh, Matthew 7, 6 says, don't throw your pearls to the pigs or they'll trample all over them. Three things I want to show you. Number one is this. Uh, pearls is your personality. It's your gifts, your strengths, your passion, the things you're great at. The things that God's put inside of you, you excel in. Okay? That's your pearls. Pigs are people who never want to change. Because you can take a pig and eat it. You can take a pig and you can, you can get that pig's nails all manicured and you can, you can put it out by the pool at Market Common and give that pig a lemonade and put a, a sun hat on that pig. As soon as you turn around, the pig's going to run and find some mud. You know what? That's its mindset. It's not, it doesn't want to change. It doesn't want to get by the pool. It doesn't want to be healthy. It wants to find some mud. That's people. Don't, now, here's the funny thing. Some scriptures in the Bible say things like, do not kill. And we're like, okay, we got it. We, 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 you don't have to tell us why. We don't kill. We got it. It's so funny. This scripture tells you exactly what will happen if you throw your pearls to the pigs. They will trample all over your gift. They'll trample all over. The money you give them, it'll just be burnt away. The time you give them, it'll just be wasted away. The energy, the advice, the wisdom, they will trample all over you. And somehow, it'll be your fault when they fail. Man, that is a sad one. I feel like somebody's getting delivered in this room today. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, help me. You know, all through the Bible, it tells us we're called to be eagles. And eagles, they're an amazing bird because they, they can soar so high. They're big. They're strong. You know, the, the, there's been eagles spotted at 30,000 feet in the air. 30,000 feet. But you know, there's some other birds. There's some crows that are always kind of crowing around at us. There's some chickens that are pecking at us with their drama. There's some ravens that are trying to pull us down with all their problems. And you know, when that happens to an eagle, the eagle never says, you know what? I'm going to fight this chicken. I'm going to fight. I'm going to prove to this crow while I'm right. The eagle just simply spreads out its wings and it soars to an elevation that no other bird can get to it. It doesn't get all bent out of shape. It doesn't get all depressed. I can't believe why. It just spreads its wings and it flies to a height. No other bird can chase it. Isaiah 40, 31 says, they that serve God or wait like a waiter or a waitress upon the Lord. Here's what happens to them. Their strength is renewed. Now, I'm going to explain this in a great way in a second. They mount up with wings as eagles. And here's what they'll do. They can run and not get weary. That amazes me. They can walk and they don't faint. Now, whenever you use your personality gifts, your, your, whenever you use your strengths for, the king, for people who want to change, for people who want to grow, for the kingdom of God, listen, I always leave church on Sunday feel like I've ran for a hundred miles and I'm not weary. I feel like I could walk and walk and walk and there's no fainting in me because I'm pouring into people who love Jesus, who want to change, who recognize how much they need God. But when you do that with people who don't want to change and don't want to grow, it feels like you've walked 10 feet and you're so exhausted. You talked on the phone for five minutes and now you're depressed. <laughs> now you go to your family, you've expended your pearls, and now the people that you love and you're supposed to spend time with, you don't have energy for them because you wasted it on a pig. Anytime you feel faintish, exhausted, or miserable when you leave a person, you just threw your pearls to a pig. Last point, point number three is this, negative people. <laughs> negative people. <laughs> Negative people, you can, you can cut the most beautiful rose off of a bush and hand them 
that beautiful red rose. And you know what they'll do? They'll talk about the thorns. <laughs> no matter how great the church service is, they'll find something where it was too cold, where the music was too loud, somebody didn't greet me. No matter how great life is, they find something negative to say. Philippians 4, 8 says this, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is honest, whatever is lovely, whatever is holy. And just in case you didn't get it yet, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about that. In other words, if you can only find 1% of good, talk about that. If you don't put boundaries with negative voices, one negative word can steal your destiny. One negative word about your physical appearance can steal your confidence for the rest of your life. One negative word about your strength, your gift, your talent, one negative word can cause you to be insecure for 20 years. you got to set boundaries with these people. Um, Louis Armstrong was told if he was ever going to make it in the music business, he had to change his voice. Cindy Crawford is that famous model with the very distinct mole on her face. When she started, all of her advisors, all of her makeup artists said, you got to get the mole removed because it makes you less than perfect. Michael Jordan was told by his high school basketball coach, you don't have what it takes to be a basketball player. <laughs> Albert Einstein's teacher told his father, no matter what Albert does, he'll never be successful. Lucille Ball was told she didn't have any acting skills and she should try a different profession. Walt Disney was told by his high school art teacher he wasn't very creative and he lacked imagination. <laughs> Winston Churchill failed the sixth grade and was told he wasn't smart enough. When I started pastoring, my mentor, someone who I loved and, and had so much faith and, and, and courage, the man who I'd spent so many years with told me, you'll fail as a pastor and nothing you ever say will interest anybody that he hears. The common denominator in the success of all of these people is they ignored the negative voices. Don't try to prove them wrong. Don't try to respond to them. Just walk away and set boundaries. So many times when that family member, that friend's negative, we feel like we need to explain to them why our heart is actually pure, why we're trying to do the right thing. We feel like we need to prove our point. Don't do it. You can't do it with a negative person. Smile, blow them a kiss, and walk away. Set a boundary. You know, over the past 15 or 16 years, I've had thousands of text messages and, 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 and cards and letters and emails of people telling me, you know, how much they appreciate me and, and how much our churches help them and their marriage and their family. So many great letters. But it seems like the one negative letter is the one that you focus on and that you stay and it keeps inside of your mind. I remember there was this one, I probably get, I probably get one a year, one a year. And sometimes they won't even put their name. They'll type it up, they'll make it so, and so just so you know, if there's not a return address and there's not a name in the bottom, we don't read it, just so you know, okay? But years ago, and this used to kill, I'm so much better at it, so much better now, but this used to kill me years, I mean, destroy me. I was, I was, I was pastoring a storefront church in Saucony 10, 12 years ago, whatever, and this one lady, man, we gave her money. We had the elders pray for her when she needed it. I always answered the phone when she called. I did everything I could, but no matter how much we did, she always had something negative to say. One time she even put a letter in the offering box that said, Please tell the pastor not to wear the shirt that he wore today at church. I don't like looking at him while he's preaching and wearing that shirt. I wanted to write a letter back. Please tell her not to wear that face that she wore today. I don't like looking at that while I'm preaching in church. <laughs> I actually probably said something worse because I was, I was very immature. 
But you know, when, when she, she wrote a letter one time just talking about how bad my sermons are and how you must not, you know, you're not very mature and all these things. Like this. And man, I thought, I gotta prove to her that I, I'm doing my best. I gotta make her see my heart if I could just get her to understand. Then maybe she'll approve of me. Maybe she'll love me. Maybe she'll realize, you know, I'm doing a good job. But I understood that. I learned the hard way that with a negative person, you don't need them in your life. You don't need them to understand you. They have nothing to do with your destiny. They don't need to believe in you. They don't need to approve. They don't need to tell you you're great. They actually need to leave your life. And I've, the reason our church is so healthy is because I've learned the secret of asking people to leave who don't belong here. I know that sounds awful to you, but I just, I'm not rude. I'm not mean. I just encourage them. You know what? There might be a church that you do appreciate. There may be a church that you do find good things at. Go find that church. And so now when somebody writes me a nasty letter, I take it home. I have a fire pit in my backyard. I pull out a cigar and a little bit of cognac. I light that lighter and I enjoy my night. So please write me a dirty letter. Write me a nasty letter. I haven't had cognac in a while. So write me something nasty. I need a little bit, okay? Okay, last story, and I'll let you go real quick. In Mark chapter 5, Jairus had a little daughter, and she was very, very sick. So he leaves his house, and he goes to find Jesus several towns over. and says, please, I need you to heal my daughter. She's on her deathbed. And Jesus said this, I'll take care of it. I give you my word. You don't have to worry about anything. So they're walking back together. Jesus has some of his disciples. Jairus is there leading him to his house where his little girl's on her deathbed. Halfway there, some people from Jairus' home show up and they say, oh, 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 you don't need to bring Jesus. I'm sorry to tell you this. Your girl's dead. Your little daughter's gone. You don't need Jesus anymore. In Mark 5, 36, it says this. Overhearing but ignoring, Jesus said to Jairus, do not worry. The Son of God just ignored somebody. Completely ignored them. This tells me you don't have to respond to everybody. You don't have to. So Jesus, they continue on the journey. It says in verse 37, when they got to the house, Jesus did not let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. This is so unusual to me. All these people around, they want to see a miracle. They want to be part of something great. But Jesus said, you're not coming. You're not coming. You're not coming. These three are the only ones I want with me when I need a miracle. Why did he do that? Why did he stop certain people from coming into his inner circle? Because he knew one crow, one chicken can ruin a miracle. And when it comes to the life of your child, do you really want someone negative in the room? Do you really want someone that says, well, you know what, they're dead. Nothing Jesus can do. Don't bother him anymore. You don't want that. So Jesus gets up to the room, and in verse 40 it says, They laughed and jeered at him, so Jesus put them all out of the house. Amen. He kicked them. The son, this shepherd that's so gentle and loving kicked somebody out of their house. That tells me it's biblical to ask certain people to leave. You say, well, what if they get their feelings hurt? What if it stops the miracle that you need? Well, what if they don't talk anymore? What if you don't fulfill your God-given destiny? Which one is more important to you? In verse 41, Jesus said to the little girl, get up. And she got up at once. I'm not telling you today. I'm not telling you to be mean to anybody. I'm not telling you to be unkind or rude. But in love, protect your personality from controllers, drama, and negative voices and then you can be free to be the person God's called you to be. Amen. 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 Okay. That's it.